Good afternoon. My name is Karen Sampson Hoffman, and I'd like to welcome you to today's Ask the Expert webcast, Better Grades, Overcoming Academic Challenges with ADHD, From Procrastination to Perfectionism. Today we welcome Ann Dolan, author of Homework Made Simple, Tips, Tools, and Solutions for Stress-Free Homework. The Ask the Expert webcast series is presented by the National Resource Center on ADHD, which gives the general public access to top clinicians, researchers, and other professionals. The National Resource Center is a partnership between CHAD and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and serves as the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence-based information on ADHD. A recording of today's broadcast will be available on the National Resource Center on ADHD's website, helpforadhd.org, in about two days. To view the recording sooner, please follow the same link you used to join us today. The recording will be available about 30 minutes following our presentation. We may not be able to get to all of your questions today. If you would like to talk with a health information specialist for further information on today's topic, please contact us Monday through Friday from 1 to 5 p.m. at 1-800-233-4050 or online at help4adhd.org. Finally, following today's webinar, a brief survey will appear on the screen. Please take a couple of minutes to let us know what you think and how we can better serve the ADHD community through the Ask the Expert webcast series. It is a privilege to introduce today's expert, Ann Dolan. Ms. Dolan has more than 20 years of teaching, tutoring, and consulting experience. In 1998, she founded Educational Connections, a tutoring company which has, been, which has worked with more than 9,000 students in the Washington, D.C. area. She has also spoken several times at the annual CHAD conference and has been featured in the Washington Post and Women's World magazine. Her book, Homework, homework Made Simple, Tips, Tools, and Solutions for Stress-Free Homework, won the Independent Book Publishers Association 2011 Parenting Book of the Year Award and was a finalist for the Forward Book Reviews Parent Parenting Book of the Year Award. For me, forgive me, the Forward Book Reviews Parenting Book of the Year Award. For those of you who would like to ask Ms. Dolan a question about following her presentation, written questions can be submitted in the questions box on the GoToWebcast toolbar, as indicated by the red arrow shown in this slide. All questions are moderated, and we will get to as many as possible during the Q&A portion of the webinar. Again, we are very pleased to welcome today's guest expert. Ms. Dolan, if you would like to begin. Absolutely. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be on this webinar, and I just really appreciate the opportunity. Let's start by talking a little bit about the kids that we're seeing. You know, so often when parents call my agency to ask for a tutor, what they often say is, my child is really bright, but that's not always coming through in school. You know, often these parents, especially those of um, children with ADHD, have very smart kids, but there's a problem with production. They just can't get the work done. They tend to have issues um, that affect their performance in the class, even though they're very capable. And that disconnect is so frustrating to parents and kids alike. So here are the issues that we often see. Um, we're going to talk today about organization, focus, procrastination, which is a huge one in students with ADHD. And then we'll talk a little bit about the study skills that are proven by research to really help kids and not only help them study better, but also help them manage distractions from technology a little bit more. And finally, we'll touch on 
perfectionism as well. But let's start out with organization. You know, I found that um, this is the common thread with kids that have ADHD or kids that are just struggling in school. Often they have a hard time managing the paper flow, um, all the back and forth between school. Sometimes they'll do their homework, but they can't find it when it comes to turn it in. So I found that when, with those kids, they really need to have some type of a simple binder system set up. I do like the case at binder uh, because it has a built-in accordion folder. This works well with students in elementary school because often they're not very good at hole punching and filing things. Even older students in high school do well with fewer binders. So for example, let's say they have block scheduling, they have red days and black days. I've worked with a number of students that will consolidate their binders into um, it, for example, all their red day classes into one binder when they can. It just makes managing all those separate seven binders a lot easier. Once your child has a system set up, it's really important to help him or her maintain it. I love the idea of a clean sweep. A clean sweep is basically a 20-minute appointment that you program into your phone. Your kids have it programmed into their phone too. And it's once a week for 20 minutes that everybody in the family gets in on the act of, or of getting organized. So kids might clean out their binder, um, clear out their backpack. You as a parent might um, organize a spice rack in the kitchen, whatever it might be, but everybody is in on the act of maintaining neatness. And that's really key for our kids to have a routine, a schedule for keeping up with things. I like Sunday nights for the clean sweep. I love this product you can see on the right-hand side of your screen. It's it's called a Pendaflex, a hanging Pendaflex file folder. I got this one on Amazon, and um, I have a list of all the resources I'm going to share with you today as well. But um, this one is really a keeper. And what you want your, to help your kids do is to help them determine when they're cleaning out what do they need to save and what can they throw away. A good rule of thumb is that middle and high school students really want to save old tests and quizzes because often teachers will take new test material from older um, quizzes. So taking those things out and putting them in the appropriately labeled folder in the hanging Pendaflex is a great idea. I like this to be in a place that kids can see it. Although this collapses and just forms a binder, it's really best when it's on the back of the student's um, bedroom door, or maybe their closet door where they can see it on a regular basis. That will help them archive. The other thing I like is the use of photographs for organization. You know, our definition of clean is often very, very different from our kids. When I was a teacher back in the days of Polaroid cameras, I used to help my kids that were chronically disorganized by setting up a system for them in their desk. And once they had that system set up, for example, soft cover on the left side, hardcover books on the right side, I uh, took a picture of their desk and I would put that picture on the bottom tray so they could always look back and reference it. Because sometimes when we say to our kids, go clean your room, clean out your backpack, organize your binder, they don't really know what that looks like. They don't have a frame of reference. A picture really helps them to have that frame of reference. Other little things that I like are a launching pad. And a launching pad is simply a place where kids put their things um, the night before. So for example, um, let's say they're done with their homework, they've um, 
They're all ready for school the next day at 8 o'clock, say on Monday night. They put all of their things into the launching pad. So this would be everything they need to take to school the next day, their backpack, um, obviously all their binders, uh, maybe their books, maybe they have a lacrosse stick, they have practice after school. So the next morning, everybody knows where everything is. You go to your launching pad and you retrieve your items and you're really launching into a new day in an organized fashion. Other things that are important to know is that our kids have been in school for a really long time. They've been sitting for seven and a half hours. So our students are likely not going to want to sit at a desk like we did when we were kids to do our homework. So we need to give them leeway. I've had a lot of kids I work with, um, their parents didn't like it at first, but they actually did homework better laying off the side of their couch. I've had kids, I had a ninth grader in here the other day said, I can't sit and do homework. I have to walk around and study and talk out loud to myself. Um, many kids are better doing homework on the sofa with a lap desk that's hard on the bottom, soft on the top. Also, fidget toys, this is a Tangled Junior, can help kids that are kind of like the touchers. These are the kids that are always seeking sensory stimula stimulation, and they may be kind of annoying sometimes because they could click their mechanical pencil 57 times, they're swirling around in their chair, they're leaning back and forth, they're, you know, tapping their shoulder, you know, um, uh, tapping their fingers, they could be chewing on their hair, chewing on their sleeve, whatever it is. And often as parents, we say, stop it, you know, put that pencil down, stop playing with that eraser. But actually research shows that these kids do need that tactile input. So giving them something like a Tangle Junior can be really helpful to give them that sensory stimulation because ultimately when they have that pressure and that sensory stimulation, um, they can calm down and focus a lot better. Interesting study done looking at fifth grade ADHD boys doing a math assignment. Half the group was given the Tangle Junior, half the group is not, was not. And what this researcher out of Penn State found is that the kids that had the Tangle Junior um, did better in two ways. One is that they were more accurate. They have got more problems right. And part of the reason they got more problems right is because they were spending more time on task. Procrastination is always such an obstacle for students with ADHD. And it doesn't get better. Um, it tends to, you know, kind of creep upwards until kids are in college and kind of levels out when people are in their 20s. But there are certainly things that we can do as parents to kind of be our kids' surrogate frontal lobe. And I love the idea of a timer. Timers are great tools for kids to fight procrastination. Oftentimes, kids do want to start, and we just assume as parents that they don't want to do the work because they don't like the work. Well, that might be part of it, but sometimes kids really feel overwhelmed and underprepared. They think, oh, my gosh, this is so big, and they avoid starting. I love the idea of setting the timer for five minutes. This is called five minutes of fury. You say to your child, work as hard as you can, as best you can, just for five minutes, and then you can take a break, or you can keep on going. Tolerable 10 idea that anybody can tolerate anything just for 10 minutes. Have your child set the timer. When 10 minutes is up, they can take a break, but oftentimes they will keep on working. Study skills are an important component, and what we do know is that there are certain study skills that are proven by research to actually work in retention of long-term information for long-term um, retrieval. First is distributed practice, and this goes along with 
procrastination because many of our students have this idea that they actually work better under pressure. But research says that's really not true. They've unfortunately gotten in that habit. So if they have a test on Friday, what they'll often do is at 10 o'clock they'll start studying. Um, and they might study for an hour, which is good. But research shows that if they took that hour and they distribute it over a few days, 20 minutes on Tuesday, 20 minutes on Wednesday, 20 minutes on Thursday, they're going to get a better grade on the test. And the reason is not what you might think. The reason is because of sleep. Sleep con basically concretes your, um, your memories, and it puts it into long-term memory. So although cramming is okay for quizzes, when you need that information a couple weeks later or a month later, if you haven't distributed it out, it's not going to be there for retrieval. We also know that studying is best when it's multimodal. And this is good for ADHD kids because, you know, 84% of kids study by reading, and that's one of the most ineffective ways to study. But that's what's a lot, what a lot of kids do. They get a study guide and they read it. They read their chapter. Um, they read their notes. But we know that kids do better when they're moving. I had a girl say to me, um, studying is so hard for me and I get so bored so easily that I, um, we have a little gym in our basement and I go downstairs and I ride the exercise bike and I study while I'm riding the bike. Um, many students will say, I can't sit and study, I have to move. I love the idea of kids using FaceTime to study. This is great for accountability for kids with ADHD that might have a hard time doing something on their own. If they have a 4 o'clock appointment to FaceTime with somebody to review a study guide, they're likely going to do it. And anytime you see something which is written, so that's a visual way of studying, and you talk about it, which is auditory, and finally, there's some movement involved that can either be walking around, riding that exercise bike, or it can be writing down notes. Anytime you have those three modalities, you're going to learn it better. So for the student with ADHD, having a partner um, over Skype or FaceTime is super powerful. For you, if you're going to be the one studying with your child, try not to take the lead and you know, be spitting the flashcards. Instead, say to your child, can you teach this back to me? Then you know your child really knows it. Distractions are something that's really um, an obstacle for a lot of students, those with and without ADHD. And what we know is that music is actually fine for rote tasks. So your student needs to write spelling words three times each, no big deal. Your child has to take a written assignment and type it on the computer, no big deal. But when it comes to long-term retention, we know that actually music is not helpful. Um, and really, music as a whole isn't great. But most specifically, music where your student is trying to listen to the lyrics is the most distracting. Some students I work with uh, will have playlists for homework, and either those playlists are instrumental or they're really familiar songs that the student already knows. And if you're going to use music and you feel like, oh my gosh, I have to have music to study, then that's the best way to have your own homework playlist. A lot of work is on the computer these days, and um, there's a lot of research looking at, okay, how are kids comprehending? And we know from a lot of studies that actually when kids read online, they're not retaining as much information. 
unfortunately, that's where our schools are going. It's cheaper to put out an e-textbook than a hard copy textbook. For our students, a lot of them need a hard copy. If you can buy a used copy on Amazon, that's fantastic. If they can print out the pages, that's great. Um, some kids can read and comprehend online without a problem as long as there are app, you know, as long as there are features and tools in that book that allow them to jot notes as they go or highlight. That makes it a little bit better. But anytime they can handwrite anything, that's helpful. Also, there's a lot of research on distractions while on the computer, and we know that. Um, the more applications a student has open at the bottom of the screen, the more distracted they're going to be, which makes complete sense. You know, if you're looking at your science book online, but you also have YouTube open and Pinterest and your Twitter feed, you're going to be compelled to look at those things. So this research found that if kids that minimize the apps actually not only were less distracted, but they had better GPAs. So there's a link from grade point average to open screens and attention, which is really compelling. A couple apps that are very helpful. I found that a lot of kids we tutor don't like to write things down in their agenda book, but here's two great apps that work with block scheduling. These are like digital assignment notebooks kids can put in their classes and they can just jot in, type in what they have for homework or they can take a picture of the board when their teacher posts it. And they're My Homework and iStudies Pro. Um, one of my favorite ones, actually my 16-year-old son told me about this one about a year ago. He's basically, he's like, Mom, this is all the rage. My friends and I are all using it. It's only for Mac, unfortunately, but it works like a charm. It's called self-control. And it's really neat because kids can kids often know what, distracts and they often know, well, like, I enjoy Amazon internet shopping or, um, you know, I tend to go on Facebook a lot. And so they can blacklist certain sites that they don't want to go to for a specific amount of time, like 20 minutes. So no matter what they do, they can try to take the app off. They can restart their computer. It doesn't matter. They cannot go to those sites. And that one is called self-control. Um, for perfectionists, and we see these kids too, and these are kind of the other side of the sword. And when I give this talk at schools, um, I have so many parents that raise their hand and say, oh my gosh, I want a perfectionist. My child, would, I feel like he won't do anything for me. Um, he just doesn't seem to care about school. And then the parents of perfectionists say, wait a second, it's not that great, trust me. And so Often we see, especially girls with ADHD, they are very motivated, but sometimes they procrastinate a lot. They're often black and white thinkers, so they think it's either great or it's horrible. So they'll avoid things like, I'm not going to get started because I know I can't do this just right. And then you have the flip side of kids that just go completely overboard and do too much. This strategy I got from one of my tutors, and we've been sharing it with all of our tutors, and they've been using it a lot and reporting great success. It's called Must Do, Should Do, Could Do. And so often perfectionists, um, you know, if they get an assignment, so let's say the assignment is to read Chapter 15, that's a must do. They have to do it. Well, they could also annotate it. Um, so that would help them learn it. So they should do that, but they absolutely don't have to do that. And then also they could highlight it and they could um, discuss it with a friend. That's a could do. So for perfectionists, it really is important for them only to do the must-dos, and then on days they have time, they can do the should-dos. 
But I have kids always categorize their assignments. Is this a must-do, should-do, could-do? And so they can see, well, I really just have to do this, and I don't really have to do this. Sometimes if they're caught up in the moment, they're more compelled to do everything when they really don't have to do. So at the end of the day, you know, with ADHD, we see that kids often have poor regulation with emotions, and we know that they're two to three years behind in maturity. Sometimes it can be frustrating for parents because they often hear the negative side of school from their kids. Their child comes home and says, I hate math, or this is so stupid. Why do I have to learn the Pythagorean theorem anyways? Or why do I have to get Mrs. Smith? She is the absolutely worst tutor, teacher in all of fourth grade. The other teachers don't give nearly as much homework. You know, it's not fair. And often when our kids come home and say things like, oh, I'm horrible at math, I'm never going to get this, it's our natural reaction as a parent to swoop in and save them and say, that's, that's not true, honey. You're actually really good at math. But that sometimes sends a student down the wrong path. They're kind of like a train on the track, and they're going to get derailed if we don't listen. So instead of trying to swoop in and make it better for them, a better strategy for our kids is just to listen, to say, oh, and then to empathize. I see. You know, I can tell that you're really frustrated. Or you're right. This math is really difficult. I can tell you're upset. But listening to them, nodding, and empathizing is so important for kids with ADHD because often when they hear that they're supportive and we, underst- and we understand what they're going through, they're much more likely to stay on that track. I also love the magic wand strategy, and this is when you say something like, oh, don't you wish you never had to do math homework ever again? If I had a magic wand, I would make it so. And so for some kids, it kind of transports them to fantasy land, even if it's just for 10 or 30 seconds, to kind of get them out of that funk. And then you can say, let's try number nine again so you get back to what the student has to do. But at the end of the day, um, I really love this quote from Russell Barkley, and it's so, so true when it comes to academics. Do not sacrifice your parent-child relationship on the altar of academic performance. And I see that so often that academics become a push and a pull. You know, and sometimes as parents, the more we push on our kids, the more they push back. And it's often that a tutor or an out, somebody without an emotional attachment to your child is going to be more objective and can really help to smooth things over and ensure that your child has those study skills that are so important. So um, I know you probably have questions for me. What can I answer for you? All right. Well, our questions are coming in. Thank you so much, Ms. Dolan, for taking the time. And for our audience, um, on the toolbar to your left, you can start start entering questions if you haven't already. And underneath that toolbar, there are two resources you can download. One will be the PDF of uh, Ms. Dolan's slides, and the other one are some resources she's offered for you. So our first questions are coming in. And our first one is from Nicole. And she was wondering, how can she make homework, homework and homework time more fun and exciting for her, her, her child uh, so that this is something her child will want to do? As you said, it is at the end of a long day. So what can she do mm-hmm. at home? 
Yeah. You know, in my book, Homework Made Simple, I have chapters divided into things like how to help your child be organized, um, dealing with rushing habits, but I, uh, and even things like um, dealing with motivation and um, students that procrastinate. But at the end of the day, really, we want to make homework as pleasurable as possible. But frankly, for some kids, it's never really going to be that great. Um, one of the mistakes I see parents make is that they become too engaged in homework and they start to micromanage it, and that never, ever goes well. Um, you know, as Sharon Weiss says, if you think you're in a power, if you think you're getting into a power struggle, you already are in the power struggle. So in order to make it a better experience, I would say you really, your role as a parent is to help your child understand the directions. Do they know what to do? Watch them do a couple of problems and get started and then walk away. Um, make sure that, you know, again, they can do it, but you don't want to be sitting next to them. And when they're done, you just check for completion. Often just having that role is kind of like a coach. It's going to go better than asking to check every last problem. That never really goes well. There's also a lot of great research in the role of movement and homework. For example, um, let's say your student needs to practice multiplication facts. Although you could sit there as a parent and drill them with flashcards, research shows that if your student gets up and moving and you simply throw a hacky sack ball and let's say you're practicing threes tables and you say six times three and they say 18, catch it, throw it back to you, and you say three times 10, they say 30, throw it back to you, that act of movement increases retention by about 30%. So homework doesn't always have to be skill and drill. It can be fun, too, especially when you get movement involved. All right, thank you. One of our attendees, uh, Laura, has a question for you. She says that on one of your slides you mentioned the power of smell. And she was wondering, mm -hmm. how does the power of smell affect studying? How is that helpful? Sure. Um, oh, I love this topic. Um, on my, our blog, which is ectutoring.com slash blog, I have um, a whole article called The New Science of Learning. Also on that front page, there's a podcast with all about the science behind learning. And I'm really intrigued by you know, what does the research say about how kids learn and retain information? In terms of smell, we know that um, when you have a scent in the room, like let's say you're trying to study for your American history test and you have a cinnamon diffuser in your room. Um, if also you sleep at night with that cinnamon diffuser on in your room, you're going to do better on the test the next day than if you just use the cinnamon diffuser to study. The reason is when you smell that smell while you're sleeping, you're, it's more likely to bring up that information in your brain while you're sleeping and rehash it over and over again. So smell can be helpful for studying. Thank you. We have research has said that smell is very powerful for people and, and does help with recall. Well, our next question now is coming from June, and she was wondering how can she and, and how can she help children help her children, forgive me, turn in their homework. She says that her child says he didn't hand it in because the teacher didn't ask for it. So evidently their homework's getting done, but it's not getting turned in. And this is something here at the National Resource Center. We hear from parents pretty often that students are completing homework, but somehow it is not getting out of the book 
back to the teacher's desk. I know, and that is so frustrating um, for parents, for kids, for every teacher, everybody involved. It's important to know, how is the teacher asking for the homework? I, I see this happen often when teachers have different expectations. So let's say your child is in fifth grade and they have a different teacher for math, science, and social studies. Sometimes the way the math teacher wants homework is really different from, say, social studies. Some teachers will say, when you walk in the door, I'm not going to ask you for it. You just put it in the homework basket. That's your job. Other teachers say, when I call for it, you turn it in. Um, other people will have, you know, like a row captain, and that person will collect it. So when it's left up to the child, that usually doesn't go well for an ADHD student. First, you need to talk to the teacher. Find out how is she asking for homework? How does she want it? And then sit down with your child and say, it sounds like Mrs. Smith wants the homework in the basket when you walk into class. What would be a good way for you to remember that? And instead of you telling the child your child the solution, let them come up with a few ideas on their own. And then help them to be a little bit accountable. So then you want to share with the teacher, oh, Jimmy said he's going to do this now. Um, can I check back with you at the end of the week? Thank you. Well, we've got uh, a parent who has a question about the timer. She has a child who dislikes using that timer. You, know, you had one for the tolerable 10 and the furious 5, but her child isn't into the timer. So what would you suggest instead of using perhaps that device? Some kids that feel anxious don't love timers. Um, it, it just even makes them more agitated. So for many kids, it's part of it is where, are, where they're doing homework. Um, I used to think that kids should do homework in the same place every day, day in and day out. But actually, newer research shows that really the location for it should vary, and it can vary from day to day. So maybe one day it's in the living room, maybe next day your child's doing homework in the home office, the third day in the kitchen. Um, so really, as much as the student can have a distraction-free environment, the better. That can often reduce procrastination. Often kids will procrastinate because the barrier to getting started is so high for them. That's how they perceive it. So for example, if they have to do a rough draft for writing, they're going to procrastinate like crazy because ADHD and writing don't go that well together. We all know that. Um, however, if you can say, you know what, you don't need to do this draft. All you need to do is create a title page and find one, re find one source for your bibliography. Often just helping kids get started by a task is powerful. So a timer is helping them to get started by time, but also you can help kids get started by a task, and that means lowering the barrier to entry. You have a worksheet with 20 math problems, you know what, just do one. Just get started. Thank you. Um, following on that, we have uh, two questions, one from Lauren and one from Shannon, and they're very similar. Lauren was wondering, how much should we help our children? And Shannon was wondering, how much help is too much help? It's such a tricky thing. I have two children. I have um, my older son. I mentioned he's 16. He's really self-sufficient. He, you know, I never really had to worry about him. My younger son has ADHD, and things are inherently harder for him. And so my role as a parent with him is really different than it was with my other child, and I'm just, I have to be more involved. Um, 
really our role as a parent in a perfect world is to help our kids get started, you know, as I mentioned before, help them understand the directions, make sure they can do the first couple of questions and walk away. The problem is you don't always know if they're really doing it. Um, in my son's case, he's, he's really very, very social, and so he's very motivated by doing things with his friends, especially on the weekends. So I set it up for him that um, he is, he's in seventh grade now, and really in seventh grade you shouldn't have to help this much, but it is different when your child has ADHD. So and what we do is when he comes home, he gets a half-hour break, um, gets off the bus at 3.30, starts homework at 4, even if I'm not home, which I'm usually not, and um, he does his homework. When I get home, it's his job to show me his completed work along with a verification on Blackboard. And Blackboard is the homework portal that we use here in Fairfax County, Virginia. Um, so he has to show me what his teachers have posted for homework and then his completed work. I don't really check it. Maybe I'll check to see basic things like, you know, obviously if you have um, no capital letters, something like that. But in general, I try not to really be involved in checking for accuracy too much. I will a little bit in math, but my I feel like this is his homework. I want him to do it. I just want to make sure it's done. I sleep better that well that way. And so when he verifies that it's done and he's done his reading at night, he gets a check. And a check equals a privilege on the weekend. And that means he can go um, to his friend's football game. You know, he can walk up to Starbucks with his friends, whatever it might be. But that's how we've done it. Other people have... Um, had similar experiences, and they've used the phone as leverage. I was talking to a mom the other day that said, you know, my child's issue is not the daily homework, but it's managing long-term things. And she said, so the way I do it is I have her phone, and when she gets home from school, she has to do her homework, but not only do it, also determine, okay, what else does she have long-term? Say it's a book report, she also has to break down in her assignment notebook that book report into manageable chunks. And when I see that she's done her homework and she's chunked out anything long-term, then I give her her phone. And that's how she does it. So sometimes finding what is it that your child, what can you leverage that's fair, is sometimes a magic bullet for kids. And we know that uh, each kid is different. There isn't one magic bullet that works for every kid. For well, sure, yeah. a, a question. Definitely. Well, there's a question now from Dora, and there are other attendees who have similar questions to Dora's. And she was wondering, can you talk about how much, about homework limits, such as how long should homework take? What is not enough time and what is too much time on homework? And what parents should do about that? Sure. Um, so the general rule of thumb, and this is the common guideline throughout the country, is that homework should be about 10 minutes for, per grade level. So, for example, a second grader should have about 20 minutes of homework plus the time that they have to read at night. So 20 minutes of math and spelling, say, and then they read at night for 20 minutes. Um, a sixth grader, for example, should have about an hour of homework. We know that in grades kindergarten through four, the research is pretty compelling in showing that students don't have academic gains from homework. In a nutshell, homework doesn't help make smarter kids in the lower grades. We see the positive effects of homework starting in about fifth grade and certainly up through high school. 
but really sticking to that guideline is key. We know that in high school, after about an hour and a half, you reach a point of diminishing returns. And so, you know, on average, kids in affluent areas with high-performing schools like we have around Washington, D.C., the average amount of homework kids are reporting is three hours. Well, if we say that, you know, an hour and a half is where kids kind of max out, and after that they're really not gaining academically, um, we're seeing that really many of our students have too much homework. So throw ADHD on top of that, and you've got a recipe, recipe for disaster. Sometimes parents aren't forthcoming with the teachers, though, and that's really important. I'll never forget one year I was teaching sixth grade, and um, I, had a, I had this little girl in my class. Her name was Haley, and I adored her. And I was really excited for her parent conference in November. And her mom came in, and right away I knew, okay, this is not going to go well. She had her arms crossed. She had just very defensive body language. And I said, I just really love having your daughter in class. And she said, let me tell you something. If you don't cut it out with the homework, I'm going to contact the principal and ask him to remove her from your class. And I said, what do you mean? I had no idea. Turns out this little girl in sixth grade was doing three hours of homework. Fast forward to the spring, and she was diagnosed with ADHD and attentive type. I had no idea what was going on at home, you know, because she was such a diligent girl and she was so um, motivated to do her best, and she was a pleaser, that, um, you know, she wasn't, her, her mother wasn't coming back, and certainly she wasn't sharing with me what was going on at home. Had that been the case, I would have absolutely made accommodations, but I just didn't know. And so as parents, we can't take on the burden ourselves. We need to let the teachers know what's happening. And also, you want to take the emotion out of it. So you don't want to email a teacher or call and say, oh, my God, you know, Mary had two and a half hours of homework last night. This is ridiculous. You really want to keep a log for a few nights and write down 30 minutes math, um, an hour and a half science. So it's very clear how much time your child is um, taking. So it's a data-driven conversation, not an emotional one. And keeping it that data-driven conversation, and especially I like the idea of writing down the information in the notebook. Well, the next question comes from Jenny and from Matthew. And Jenny uh, notices that you mentioned your son a couple times, and she was wondering, she has a son also who's close to your son's age, and she was wondering how can she help him become more motivated. He tells her he has no motivation and she's not sure how to respond. And Matthew follows that with he wants to know your thoughts on motivations and rewards. Sure. You know, motivation is such a complicated thing. There are many, many reasons kids are unmotivated when it comes to school. But you know, I have a friend of mine who's a psychologist, and she said to me one day, you know what, ADHD is the disorder of motivation, plain and simple. Um, kids, things for our kids are harder in class. Sometimes they're zoning out, so they get home, and nothing really makes sense to them. They're, they're kind of like Swiss cheese. They know some things, and they don't know others. They have holes in their learning. So when it comes to homework, it's just that much harder for them to do it, to focus, to know it, everything. And so you can see why that cumulative effect of um, negative engagement can make them feel disillusioned by school. There's also research that shows 
80% of feedback kids with ADHD get in school is negative, and that's huge. If you went to a job every day and your boss 80% of the time told you you weren't doing very well, you wouldn't really want to go there every day. And so part of it is certainly treating the disorder, making sure you're doing everything you can um, to help your student. But also it's finding your child's strengths. You know, what is your student really good at naturally? What can they do that's really special? Sometimes parents will say nothing. All you can do is play Xbox all day long. And you know what? That's a kid who might be a great computer programmer. Sign them up for um, you know, an, a programming class or a digital animation class, something like that where they can show their strengths. Every student is different. I've worked with a lot of kids that love animals, and um, I was that kid. <laughs> and um, some students do really well when they have a hobby after school. Maybe they volunteer at the local animal shelter or they go into a vet's office and just play with animals after school. It's really trying to find your child's strengths because at, it, what research shows is that motivation is the highest um, in about fifth grade, and then it starts to wane. And starting in ninth grade, we see a big drop-off in the levels of engagement in students. But then at the end of high school, engagement starts to go up on the upswing again. Part of that is because kids see a way out. They see that, okay, wait, I'm almost done. But for a lot of kids, they see, okay, wait, this stinks, and I'm probably never really going to like school, but I see that I can be a vet tech you know, um, later on, and I can get out of here and go and specialize in something. So if we can help our kids find what they're naturally good at um, and always praise them in those areas, they're much more likely to find their path and have something to look forward to later on. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, our next question is... Um Actually, two questions. Again, I'm going to I'm going to pile questions on you. We've got one from Nisi, and she was wondering if you had any advice for third grade reading comprehension. Her her daughter is kind of struggling with reading comprehension. On the flip side, we have Sheila, and she was wondering if you had any suggestions on how she can have her help her child learn to read for pleasure. So, reading comprehension and uh, reading for pleasure. There's a lot of great books out there. What would you suggest? It's a tricky one because reading for pleasure is so important. And when kids don't do it because they don't like to read, it adds to the problem because they're not practicing. So finding a series that your child likes is so key. Um, there's also a lot of research, and in, um, in reading comprehension is pretty common in kids with ADHD. Oftentimes they can decode really well, meaning they can sound out words, and so they can read perfectly fine, but they're not really getting joy out of reading because they're not always understanding what they read. And so research shows that when kids listen to an audio book and they follow along at the same time, so they can't just be, for example, reading, listening to The Strange Case of Origami Yoda um, and just hearing it. But if they listen to it and they have the physical book in front of them and they follow along, they actually improve their comprehension and fluency more than if they read that book independently if the book is just above their level. So often, again, let's say you have a third grader wants to read a fourth grade book, kind of like Origami Yoda, but they're a struggling third grader, they're going to perform better if they have that book on audio. 
So that's really key. The other thing we know is that the size of font is um, important to kids. And small font is not good for struggling readers. So if you can enlarge the font on your Kindle or whatever device you have, that will be helpful to students that are reluctant readers. I like that phrase, reluctant readers. You know, reading is so important, and children with ADHD, some of them take a little bit longer than the average to learn to read, but once they do, there's no stopping them. Well, our next question is coming from a parent who um, is struggling with homework, and, and there's, their child is struggling with homework. And actually, again, I'm going to stack two questions on you. One is from our parent who's struggling. She's wondering, how do you take the emotion out of homework, out of getting it done without the student getting upset how to, without the parent getting upset. And Deirdre is wondering pretty much the same thing. She says her daughter is having meltdowns when it comes time to homework. And Deirdre is wondering how she can keep her own feelings of frustration in check when her daughter is melting down. Yeah, it's just so tough. Um, I, I completely understand where you're coming from, Deirdre. And it's really, really important to remain calm. Um, it's so easy to get worked up with your child and just say, oh, my God, if you could just focus enough to finish this, we'd be done and we wouldn't have, be having this argument. But really, as much as you can disengage, the better. When kids are in that mood, it's really hard for them to come back online. It's not going to happen. So if you see that your kid is your child is on the verge of a meltdown, you don't ever want to try to reason with them. That never, never works. So you don't want to say, oh, come on, honey, you can do this. Just a couple more questions and you'll be done. Instead, you want to say, you know what? You're right. This is hard. I can see why you're frustrated. Let's do this. Um, I'm going to go in my office and I'm going to work on some email for work. Come get me when you're ready to start again. That way, it's really in your child's court to come and get you. Um, when they can, when they're kind of back online, and you're not really managing the, that emotion. Um, at that point, the amygdala, which is part of the brain, it's the emotion center, has been completely hijacked, and their frontal lobe is not working. When kids get emotional, they're incapable of, of you know, using those executive functioning skills, and they're all about the emotion. And in order for them to shift from using that amygdala to their frontal lobe, they have to disengage. So for some kids, they can disengage by they're working on math, they hate math, it's so hard, they're going to just say, forget math, maybe I'll do it later tonight, um, I'm just going to do spelling. Some kids can switch like that. Other kids need to go get something to eat and take a break. Some kids need to go out and play and come back. Um, but for the parent, really disengaging themselves and staying calm and not going toe-to-toe -to -toe with their child is really important. Thank you. Well, the next, que next question comes from Scott, and he has made the decision to take himself out of the homework mix and get a tutor for his student, for his, his child. And he was wondering, how many hours a week should a tutor be working with the student, and how does a parent go about finding a good tutor? Well, it, it depends on the situation. Um, we have students that we have a tutor going to their house every day because the parent is, just says, you know what, I'm not ruining my relationship with my child over this, yet at the same time I know that if I'm not involved, my child won't be getting the work done. So they're kind of farming it out to somebody else. They're still involved, but not nearly the way they were before. Other people we work with have kind of like we call them educational coaches, and those are people that help them 
It's a tutor who specializes in helping with executive functioning skills. That means instead of, you know, doing every math problem with the student like a tutor, they're going to say, okay, let's come up with strategies for this. Let's take your long-term assignments and parse them out. Let's talk about how you're going to study for this upcoming social studies test. So they're kind of like a, an executive functioning coach in the wings. It really varies. Some students are okay with once or twice a week. Some kids need more tutoring. But I would find somebody who has experience working with kids with ADHD. That's really, really important that they um, come to the table with a new toolkit of solutions, not the same thing your child is getting in school. Thank you. Well, we've got three attendees, Kathleen, Ellen, and Diana. And they are asking pretty much the same question. They would like to they would like to know what to do when the child when a child is lying about not having homework or forgets to check her homework online when there's homework but it's not being brought to the parent's attention. How how does a parent go about dealing with this situation in a way that is positive? Right. So this is common, you know, especially with online posting of homework where some teachers are very compliant and they're just religious about it. They post it every day. I love those teachers. You, know, you always know what's going on. And there are other people that don't buy into that and that think, well, I wrote it on the board and that's good enough. Well, it's not really good enough for our kids. And that's difficult because you don't always know what's expected in the classroom. I would personally call the teacher and explain the issue and just say, I realize um, that, or the words I like are I've noticed. Um, I've noticed that uh, Mary, let's say your daughter's name is Mary, I've noticed that Mary isn't writing down her assignments, but the problem is that the assignment isn't online, so I'm not sure what she's to do. Um, can you suggest an idea and just open the dialogue? I had this similar situation personally, and the teacher um, just thought, well, I wrote it on the board, and everybody needs to get with it and write it down, and that's just how it is. But she didn't really realize that there were other parents struggling with the same thing. And sometimes there are strength in numbers, so certainly go to the teacher, and if you know somebody else that's struggling with the same thing, have that person talk to the teacher as well. Um, when teachers do post on Blackboard or on your homework portal, that's really great. And I never trust kids' judgment right away. So I use the tactic called trust but verify. And you want to be able to trust your child. If your child says, oh, Mom, it's amazing. I don't have any homework tonight. You want to say, oh, my gosh, that's great, Jamie. I'm so happy for you. That's, let's celebrate a night without homework. That's fantastic. But in the back of our minds, we know, okay, wait a second. <laughs> There's no way you have no homework tonight. So you always want to verify. So instead of saying, well, I'm going to go on the computer right now and check to see if you really have homework, you want to say, oh, can you show me that online? Can you go to your homework portal and show me? So you don't want to be the one logging in. You want your child to do it for you. All right. Well, thank you. Well, uh, we have two things that uh, we want to add is the Underneath the question box, our attendees can download, again, resources uh, from, Dr. from Ms. Dolan and also a copy of the PDF that has the slides and the listing of resources. And also, our attendee, Scott, you answered his question a moment ago, and he would like to say thank you. He's really pleased with your answer and, and is glad that you're with us today. 
Well, thanks, Scott. And if you live in the D.C. area, I'm having a presentation on February 18th. Um, title is Focused, Unfocused and Fidgety, and that's in Fairfax, Virginia. Um, on our website, ectutoring.com slash calendar, you can see upcoming events if you live in this area. All right. Well, thank you. Well, now we've got a uh, question from one of our attendees, and this kind of takes us in a, a slightly different direction. She was wondering, how can you get parents on board with a lot of these strategies that you've mentioned about homework when one of the parents in the family hasn't accepted that the child has ADHD? And how can they be positive in coaching and helping their, their child, their student, instead of saying, why are you failing? How can, what can parents do in this situation? I don't even know if you need to bring up ADHD um, because what, what I found as a teacher and as a parent is that what works for an ADHD child works for all kids. So whether your child is struggling from ADHD or anxiety or, you know, just a good old-fashioned power struggle, it, it, you're still going to support that student. And I think, you know, I've run into this a lot with parents that, Sometimes they're divorced and the kids are going between homes. Sometimes they're separated. Um, sometimes they're living under the same roof and they just have completely different parenting styles. And the key is to sit down and try to agree on the main thing. Um, so sometimes it's just the structure of homework, and that means that whether you're, they're at your house or the other parent's house, having a structure for where your child does homework and the time that they start and then how you're going to supervise it. For example, maybe they have a break for 30 minutes. I love the break for elementary school kids. It's important. So kids, let's say on Monday they come home from school, they get off the bus, they have a 30-minute break, and then they start homework. But let's say on Tuesday they have soccer practice. Soccer practice is not their break. They still have to be on. They come home excuse me, from school, get a half-hour break, and then they're expected to start homework. So when both parents have the exact same expectations, it's really much easier to parent that child. You're going to get far less pushback. Um, so you may also want to agree on um, how do you make sure the homework is done. And you might have the check but verify method. But at, at the end of the day, I can also say in my experience, there is one parent who's inherently better at this than the other parent, and that's just the way it is. Unfortunately, it's usually the organized parent that is better at this type of thing, and so they're usually the parent that is the one who will say, okay, you've got a book report due in two weeks, you have a test next Friday, and they're helping the student chunk out the assignment. And that's okay. If, if there's one person that takes, helps the student chunk it out, um, it can still work out well. But I would say as a couple, figure out what is it that you, at the end of the day, you want your child to be able to do. And oftentimes it's you want your student to complete homework and you want to know that it's done. And what, what can you put into place together to make sure that that goal is getting accomplished? All right. Well, thank you. Well, we're down to our last two questions. And our first of the last is from Sheila, and she remembers that you mentioned video games a little while ago. And she was wondering, is the promise of video games after homework a good motivation tool? Should she be using video games, or should she be using a, a different type of reward as a motivation tool? 
I don't love video games right after homework, and here's why. Your student comes home from school. Let's say they have an hour of homework about, but they miraculously get it done in 20 minutes just to get on video games. I hear that a lot from parents, that students will rush through homework just to get the reward. They're not putting in effort. Um, so using that as a reward isn't a great idea. However, you can use it as a reward later in the evening. So you can say, homework is done. Um, I verify that it's completed, and then your privilege can start after dinner from 7 to 8. So they have something to look forward to, but it's not immediate, and that's often helpful for students. It also limits the amount of time they're on it. So, you know, they could theoretically come home from school, finish their homework beyond video games at 4 o'clock till 9 o'clock. And it's really hard when you don't have guidelines for kids to get them off of video games. They're so addicting, um, especially to kids with ADHD. They're just, they want that more than anything, that and their phone. All right, well, thank you. We are at our last question. And our last question comes from Mary Ellen. And she was wondering, she's a working parent, and she was wondering how can she... Uh, encourage her child, her student, to be proactive and already be doing homework and starting homework before she gets home for the evening. What, what can she and her family put in place? That's a great question. There's nothing worse than coming home at 6.30 and your child's done absolutely nothing because you know what's going to happen for the next two or three hours. You're going to be struggling over homework. In general, you want, your child, you want to agree upon what's very easy that your child can get accomplished independently when you're not there. So, for example, you have an elementary school student. They, in sixth grade, they still have spelling. They, they do that the same thing every week. They can do that before you get home. You have a child who's really good at math, not great at writing. They can do the math before you get home. So having that agreement is that they look through their tasks and they find something that they can do independently before you get home is very, very fair. Um, you can also have them call you at work and report to you what they have and then verbally tell you, I have science, social studies, and math. I'm going to do my math right now before you get home. And that provides them a little bit more accountability. All right. Well, thank you. I think these have been a lot of really good suggestions. We've had some really wonderful questions. We've gotten more questions than we could get to in this past hour. So what I would like to remind our audience, again, if you have a question, you can give us a call. We are available at the National Resource Center. Our phone number is 1-800-233-4050. And we are here Monday to Friday, 1 to 5. And you can also submit a question online at www.help4adhd.org. Ms. Dolan, this has been great. I think you've offered a lot of suggestions, and I think our audience members are really excited to try some of these things out with their families and to see how things get, how things go, and, and make homework in the evening better so that families can enjoy being together. Well, thank you, Karen. I appreciate it. For our audience members, we really hope that you've enjoyed this presentation. Please take a moment to send us your feedback through the survey that will appear at, on your screen at the end of this webcast. And we hope that you will join us for our next webcast on, when, on Tuesday. Forgive me, that says Wednesday, but on Tuesday, February 24th, we are welcoming John Wilson to discuss how to find the right summer camp for your child affected by ADHD. You can register now at help4adhd.org. 
or on the CHAD website at chad.org slash asktheexpert. Thank you again for participating in this presentation. Ms. Dolan, thank you so much for being with us, and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. This is the conclusion of our webcast. Thank you very much.